All right, so I'm just going to fess up right before we get this thing started. When I hit the record button to record the intro of this next episode, I forgot to turn the microphone on, and it's coming through the laptop speakers, so I sound like I'm talking in a tin can. Sorry about that. Let's get it going. It's going to be a fun episode with my buddy, Mike Bozart. Let's go. There exists a threat from anti-hunting groups to politicians trying to give our land away, and we won't stand for it. Those vast western landscapes provide the space for our wildlife to thrive and a place for hunters and anglers to fuel the fire that sparks their soul. In this show, we share our love of hunting, fishing, and conservation. Here, we provide the foundation to meet these threats through passion and the grit of the American outdoorsman. Welcome to the Western Huntsman Podcast. This is episode number 50. I can't believe that. And actually, it makes sense. We've got two weeks after this for the rest of the year, and we're doing one episode a week, which I'm not totally sure how I I did that because I did miss a week during September. Uh, Anyway, guys, welcome to the show. This is Jim Huntsman, your host, coming at you from the Broken Time studio up here in snowy North Idaho, in Hayden, Idaho. And I uh, appreciate you guys tuning in. we got a great episode for you this week. Uh, a couple things to get to as we start rolling through this stuff. First of all, uh, I want to talk about last week's episode, the, the Elk Panel, the series that we did. We started, we had uh, Dirk Durham, Joe Gillia, Chris Rowe on, and uh, we, we discussed elk and elk hunting and elk habitat and elk behavior and, and uh lighted knocks and a little bit of everything so it was a really fun conversation the one thing though that i noticed i was i was going through and i was listening you know i was doing the edits after after i record these shows i sit down and i upload it to my editing software and i listen to it and i I, what i just try to do is is make sure there's no long pauses in between you know i tighten up some of those gaps and and try to i I try to get rid of some of the ums and ahs and stuff like that you know it did just uh, it takes forever though, so I don't I don't focus too hard on that. And plus, I want it to sound pretty authentic as well. Um, but anyway, w- what I noticed when I was editing it, I, I was going through and I want to make a correction on something I said because I think that it could be misinterpreted or uh, it, it sounds bad. It just sounds bad, uh, unrealistic or something. I was talking and I was getting really excited and I was talking about guys how I. I you know, I did this and I did that and I called in 17 bolts. And the, the one correction, that's not, that's not inaccurate, but I do want to correct it. And I don't want to call it call-ins because a call-in implies that you brought that bull or I'm sorry, the bull into bow range and, and uh, had a pin on him or something. And that wasn't the case. I, I'd rather call it encounters. And that's where I would make a vocalization towards an elk, and I I would get responses. And many of those did end up into an actual call-in, where I was engaged with the bull, and he came in, he was within bow range, and, you know, for one reason or another, behind some brush, or, or I blew it, or, or whatever, that, uh, that I, I didn't get an arrow in that particular bull, but um, I, I just wanted to kind of make that correction. Nobody, nobody said anything or anything, but it, it just, I didn't feel right about how that sounded. 
And I, I just want to be totally straight with the audience. It's like the, the, the way I said that 17 call-ins of, of elk last September, I just didn't like the way that sounded. It's, it's not totally, it just paints kind of the wrong picture. They weren't call-ins, they were encounters. And I'm not talking about the lone bull, you know, that's 700 yards away on the different ridge and, you know, that kind of thing that responded. I'm talking about the actual encounters where uh, I either had them coming in silently and I, I saw them uh, and they, they, they'd make little noises, sounds here and there, uh, or full on, you know, argument with a bull elk. If, and you, you guys that have been there know what I'm talking about when I say full-on argument with a bull elk. Uh, that's what I was talking about. And those are, those, I had 17 encounters and that's, that, that comes, the reason I was saying that is because I had so many years of failure uh, as an elk hunter and, and trying to call them in. It was, it, you know, the last two seasons have just been absolutely incredible in terms of, of getting these encounters with, with bull elk because I, I focused and I learned these animals and I, I learned how to use my calls and I learned how the, the animals think and, and how elk, you know, their behaviorally, how they behave during September. And that's, that's really what made all the difference. And so I just wanted to correct that. Um, again, I, I per, it's just my personal thing. I didn't feel right about how that sounded. I did not have 17 call-ins, what I would call, what I would refer to as a call-in. I had 17 really good elk encounters though. And, and that is fair to say. So I appreciate you guys bearing with me on that and uh, just kind of explaining that. Um, I want to welcome a lot of you new listeners. I've, I've noticed the, the last few episodes, and I keep meaning to bring this up, but uh, the, the last few episodes, we've had a lot of new listeners tuning in. Tons of new downloads. And um, just I, I can tell, too, because it... It, it tells me in my system like where people are downloading from, and you can always tell when, you, when you're when you getting new listeners because you'll get like these new cities popping up. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that next week on next week's episode because next week is uh, the one-year anniversary of the show, and I'm really excited about that. We've had one hell of a year because of you guys and you new listeners that are here. Welcome. The Western Huntsman Podcast is designed to keep hunters passionate and engaged in the hunting community and create unity amongst hunters and outdoorsmen in general. Uh, and, and you just help, you know, I, I, I always hate using the term educate. I, you know, I'm not a professor. I'm not here to educate anybody. But I hope that there is an educational value that you get out of this show. And, and for you new listeners, we don't really have a strict format as to what we talk about on this show. Sometimes we talk about public land and how that relates to being a hunter and an outdoorsman. Sometimes we talk about conservation issues. Sometimes we just tell hunting stories. Sometimes we talk about tips and strategies and technique in the field, how to make you a better elk hunter or a better deer hunter or a better bear hunter or a better duck hunter. Actually, I haven't had any duck experts on. I, I, I should probably change that, huh? I know a lot of you guys are big-time waterfowl hunters. I'm not so much. Uh, but uh, we talk turkey hunting, all, anything hunting-wise in the West. That's what we do here. And we, we do that with a mission, with a purpose. Because if, if you listen to the intro, you notice that we have um, – I, I talk about the, the threats that are against us as, as hunters, between anti-hunting movement uh, type kind of peeps – and uh, the the politicians that are that are trying to give our lands away and, and give them back to, to private ownership or not back but 
uh, or transfer is a term. They, they use the, it's a real sneaky term, transfer the, the, the public lands back to the state where they belong kind of thing. It's really very much a misconception and, and uh, is not an honest portrayal of, of what that means. Um, and so anyways, that's, those are the things that we talk about on this show because I do want people fired up. I, I want people passionate about hunting. And the listeners in this audience are passionate, man. And what I appreciate, what I appreciate about my audience is, is you guys are passionate. If you disagree with me, you don't mind calling me out on it. And you don't mind providing the reasons why you disagree with me. And that is totally cool with me. I, I that Because, I mean, let's face it. There's a ton of podcasts out there. There's a lot of radio shows. And it doesn't matter what the topic is, you know. Um, you're not always going dis- to you're not always going to agree with the host, and that's just that's just a fact of life. And I I, I understood that coming into this, uh, going you know a year into this now, I understood that. But what I appreciate is I've got I've got people that listen to this podcast that you know send me emails and and messages on social media and stuff like that where I can read through there and and I know they disagree with me, but they still tune into the show because that's part of the discussion. We don't always have to agree. And that kind of creates the segue into what I'm about to talk about for, for spend a few minutes on this topic. But, and that is, I want to talk about the, the goals that hunters have and how they differ for each hunter and why we as hunters need to respect that because it's been getting ugly out there. It's been getting ugly on like Facebook uh, you don't see as much of it on on uh, Instagram, that, from what I've noticed, uh, but but it is definitely out there. Especially, it's particularly on Facebook. A lot of negativity. People have you know strong opinions about this and strong opinions about that, and they're not afraid to let each other know. But the one that really bothers me is when somebody hassles another hunter about the size of the deer or elk that they took. I know it's a tired old argument, the whole, you know, if it's brown, it's down versus let them grow another year, you know, whatever. The thing that we have to realize, guys, is we're not, we're not, first of all, we're not biologists. Second of all, we all have different goals. Some of us have been hunting for a long time and, and we have come to a point in our passion for hunting in which we could set higher goals to achieve more mature animals. So don't mistake or, or don't mistake what I'm trying to say as, as I'm, I'm talking smack about people that only want to shoot big animals, big mature animals. I'm not. I'm absolutely not. I do that too. I, I really enjoy going after the most mature animal I can find. However, we can never discount the people that are just trying to fill the freezer or the, the folks that um, they go out. They, the only time they have is a couple of weekends a year they, you know, to go after these big mature. I'm, I'm just going to let's use mule deer for an example in, in just for and this it, it, it applies to everybody. It applies to whitetail hunters. It applies to elk hunters. But just for the sake of simplicity, let's go ahead and just stick with mule deer. If you're going after a huge mountain western mule deer, a big mature buck, you need more than a couple of weekends. And and that is just fact. Now, 
does dumb luck sometimes happen? Yeah, obviously. Sometimes these these uh, these hunters get out of their truck and <laughs> you know they they walk a few hundred yards and there's a monster mule deer standing there. You know, I know that happens. Has it happened to me? No. I wish it would, but nope, never easy. So the point being that 99% of the time you're going to need a lot of time and a lot of effort um, into into putting in for these big mature mule deer and and getting in after them. Some hunters don't have that luxury. Sometimes all they have is a couple of weekends a year, and really that's all they want. And you know what? That is okay. Now, unless you're in some specific unit that has a problem with the, the population of whatever game species we're talking about, we need to lay off the folks that go out there and they shoot a, a spike or a two-point. You know, um, what is the problem with that? Because that's been going on for generations. That's, that's something that has been passed down for generations. And so to judge people on the size of that animal and the level of maturity of that animal is, is really inappropriate. And it really sends the wrong message to future hunters and, and to people that are against hunting outside of us. We're all hunters, and I, I get it. There, there are specific regions throughout the West where there are nuances where we do need to be careful about shooting uh, the younger bucks versus shooting does versus shooting mature bucks. And, and, and I, have, I have opinions on that as well. So I'm not, uh, you know, don't take that as, as like some big blanket statement because it's not. But as a general rule, if it's a legal buck, I, I just wish people would stop giving each other a hard time. And, and I think that I, I know a lot of people that um, took a, a nice little buck. Let's say it was a fork and horn. You never saw that posted on, on social media. And it's not that they didn't want to share that experience or, or their what, what they consider a trophy in their mind. It's because they were afraid of the repercussions that they were going to get from these people that think that their way of hunting is the only way a hunter should be. And if you don't hunt their way, you're an asshole. That's the kind of stuff we've got to get away from. Anti-hunting organizations eat that up. You don't see anti-hunting organizations ripping each other apart over whatever initiative they're uh, you know, pursuing at the, at the moment or whatever funding method they've got. No, they don't care. They've all got the same goal. I got news for you guys. And I'm only talking to the people that are jerks to other people about what kind of animal they take. We as hunters all have the same goal too. When you strip away the nuances of what your particular personal goals of hunting are, our end game is the same. We want what we consider a trophy in our mind down with a tag on it and our freezer full. That's it. There's no other objective. There's no other objective. Now, I know. I Again, blanket statement. I know there's hunters out there that they, they are strictly trophy hunters. They don't even eat the animal they take. They usually donate it and... And whatever. You know what? If it's legal, I, I don't care. I'm not going to judge that individual. What I do care about is how we treat each other as hunters because we have a lot of obstacles in front of us as we move into this next, uh, let's say, decade because it's 2020. We're going into this next decade, right? And I sure as hell hope 2021 is better than 2020. I've had about enough of elections and coronaviruses and freaking murder hornets and, and <laughs> everything else that's uh, taken place this year. You guys, you guys know 
what I mean by by that. But the point being is we have a lot of challenges ahead of us as hunters, and we've got to be cognizant of what what is ahead of us. What is our future? What what does that look like? Why is it important for us to respect each other? You you guys, if you've listened to this show at all before, you know uh, how I feel about ragging on people on on Facebook. You know how I feel about that. I think it's BS. I have a very, very strict policy, and I haven't always had this, but I recognize that what I was doing was a problem, and I was I, I looked like an asshole. And and this was this was years ago, and, and my new policy, which I adopted, I don't know, three or four years ago. When, when it comes to social media, I say nothing to nobody that I would not say to their face, and I take into account some of the people I'm communicating with. I've never met them, and I probably never will meet them in person. But that that remains the same. I say nothing to them that I wouldn't say to their face, and if if. If uh, we're friends on Facebook, you've seen that I, I can get I can get pretty aggressive with some of my opinions as well. But I'm I'm courteous about it. I'm I'm prof- I wouldn't say professional. I mean it's social media, right? So it's not like I'm professional, but I I'm not I'm not just a downright name calling jerk. I understand that people have different perspectives and different experiences and different objectives and different goals and all that kind of stuff is super important. And as hunters, we need to respect that about each other. Don't say shit to people that you wouldn't say to their face. I think that is a really good policy to have. Anyways, I hope that that all made sense. And I hope that uh, some of you out there that, that may hear this kind of takes that to heart because There's one thing that I know and I know for certain, and that is if, as hunters, we are a divided community, we will fail. We will lose this lifestyle that we we live, whether it is a lifestyle or just a passive hobby, whether you're just a a person that likes to grab a deer tag and go out and, you know, every five years you you get something, but you you don't spend a lot of time, you don't spend a lot of money. Or you're a person that lives for, you know, hunting season, and uh, you budget great amounts of money for hunting season, and you're you're, you know, ex- extremely committed to to this thing, this art we call hunting. Or somebody in between. It doesn't matter. We all have the same end game, and we have to be on each other's side. Hunters are my peeps. If you're a hunter listening to this, I'm your peeps. And all the people out there that you see, granted, do they do stupid things sometimes? Yeah, and I want to point one out. If, if Have you guys seen the video where these, these dudes in this garage have this deer, this buck hanging, and Mr. Mullet Man gets underneath it, and they pour beer down into the cavity of the deer? Uh, like, I don't know if it's one or two cans of, of uh, probably hams. <laughs> I didn't notice what kind of beer it was, but that makes a difference, right? They pour it down into the cavity of this deer. And Mr. Mullet Man's underneath, as it's coming out of the nasal canal and mouth, is, is like chugging the beer. And it's bloody. It's all nasty. They're young guys. But that is a, that is a stupid thing to put on social media. And here's why. What do you think happens when the marketing director of PETA 
gets a hold of a video like that. As, as hunters, we're always trying to portray that we respect our wildlife. We respect the game. We love these animals more than people that don't hunt do. We know more about them. We study them. We respect them. We give them the respect that they deserve once we put the tag on those animals. And then you have that video come out. And the, the, the marketing director of PETA is going to take that video and use it to promote their cause against hunting. And I'm using PETA as, as an example. Another one, biological for, uh, or the Center for Biological Diversity. They'll, they will eat that video up. What do you think they're going to do with that video? That is marketing dynamite for those kind of organizations. So that video was stupid. It was irresponsible. It was, it makes me sick that somebody would put a video like that on social media for thousands to perhaps millions of people for them to see. And that paints a very, very bad picture. That blows in the darkest, blackest cloud of a shitstorm that we can receive from stuff like that. And I hope that that never happens again. I hope those guys, I wish I knew who they were because I'd get them on the show and I'd say this right to their face. That is the kind of stuff that we've got to find this balance because you just saw me, I, I got upset and those are hunters and we're supposed to be talking about the unification of hunters and all these things, but some hunters do need to be called out and it's stuff like that that we need to focus on and unify against. Because that is what threatens us as hunters. That is the kind of stuff that threatens hunters. Not whether or not Bob shot a two-point versus, you know, Billy that shot a, uh, you know, a 200-inch mule deer. That's the stuff that will divide us. And it's irrelevant to an individual hunter. Again, regional nuances aside. It's the videos of chugging beer out of a dead deer cavity that destroys us. And those are the things that need to be called out. As hunters, we need to be very much keyed in to what kind of perceptions we are putting off. Because we, as hunters, we are outnumbered, man. I'm telling you right now, we, I've been running the numbers. We are outnumbered, big time. We are not replenishing the hunting ranks that we used to have. It's not... It's no longer this widely accepted uh, thing in, in the United States and Canada. There's a social movement that is seeing it as this barbaric, old-fashioned uh, thing that shouldn't exist anymore because their opinion is um, animals shouldn't have to be hunted uh, because they're, they're so soft and they're so um, weak-minded that they don't understand that the, the natural progression of mankind has always evolved around hunting and gathering. So this is, this is important stuff. Now, I don't mean to make this some big long, I hope it's not sounding like a lecture. You guys know, <laughs> I'm like, I'm probably one of the easiest going podcast hosts you'll ever meet in the, in the community or the hunting space, Right. I like jokes. I like I like to joke around. I got a good sense of humor, but there are there are things that just man they rub me the wrong way. And it's videos like that pouring the beer down the deer cavity that piss me off, and it should piss you off too because it threatens our lifestyle. Those guys are threatening our lifestyle, and they have no clue they're even doing it. That's the kind of stuff that we need to be calling out. So, all right, let's move on from that. 
one more quick item here, the trivia. Guys, we're going to have a trivia drawing. Um, many of you have answered. I've, I've had a lot of really good responses on the past trivia questions, and I got kind of an easy one. It's an interesting one. I actually didn't know this um, until I, I was reading through a particular book written by a guy that I'm, I'm a huge fan of. So anyway, uh, this uh, this this trivia question is going to be the last one of the year. So next week, on next week's episode, I am going to go ahead and draw a winner for that, and we're going to get you some uh, some Western Huntsman swag items. I don't know, merchandise, probably a T-shirt and a cup, uh, something along those lines, and I'm going to send it out to you. But before we do, let's. I have one more question for you. So the trivia question for this week is, how much antler growth do large mule deer see per day during the summer? It's an interesting thing if you think about it. If you sit and think about, like if you could visualize what takes place in 24 hours, it's crazy. So write into me your answer. How much antler growth do large mule deer see per day during the summer? Write into me at jim at thewesternhuntsman.com and let me know your answer and I will enter you in to win the raffle coming up next week on the uh, one-year anniversary of the release of the Western Huntsman podcast. What a year it's been. Guys, thanks for tuning in. Let's get to it with our guest today, which he is a fantastic human being, you guys. I've got, uh, he's a buddy of mine. His name is Mike Bozart, and Mike is a, uh, he has been hunting for several decades. He's got a lot of experience, and he's got great insight as to hunting in different states and tag draws and mule deer and elk and all these things. He's, he's, strictly, uh, he's strictly a bow hunter, and that's, that's the only kind of hunting he does anymore. And this, he had a great season this last year, and he talks, we, we talked a lot about that. But Mike is the kind of hunter that is, is like one of, he's just everybody's friend. You know, if, if you're a hunter, he, he just looks at you like you're, you're already a friend, even if you don't know him. And he's the goal with, with episodes like this is I want to get people's perspective that may, they may not have these uh, platforms to offer their perspective in a lot of cases. You know, a, a lot of times I've got guys that they have their own podcasts or they have big YouTube channels or they have, you know, some way of communicating some of their hunting pers- perspective and tips and strategies and, and things of that nature uh, I want to hear from the what I would call the average hunter, even though Mike is an, an above-average hunter. He is definitely an above-average hunter, and he's got a lot of cool stories. Um, but he's not somebody that you would hear from normally. And and those are if you know somebody like that, if you know somebody that's kind of in the shadows but gets it done every year, they're really good. They they love teaching and and sharing their knowledge and sharing stories of their hunt, send them my way. Send them my way. Jim at thewesternhuntsman.com is my email address. I'd love to get people like that on the show because you 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 will be amazed at some of the nuggets you'll get out of guys like this. And Mike is no exception to this. Mike offers a lot of really good information for that you guys are going to really benefit from. And I think you're, you're going to like him as much as I do because I, I really do. I consider him a friend. Uh, he's a great guy. He's a great hunter. He's a great representative of the hunting community. And uh, a lot of us can learn a lot from uh, Mike Bozart. So without further ado, let's get into it with Mike right now. Guys, have a great week. We'll talk to you next week. And here we go.
guys. I'm on the line with Mike Bozart, and we have been working on trying to connect and get this thing working for a while. And it's uh, we're on, I guess, third time's a charm, Mike. That's right. Yeah, it's been a struggle here. <laughs> we but, tried. We tried one program. It failed. The other program couldn't hear each other. So I finally just called him on the phone and hooked him up to the soundboard. And here we go. That's right. <laughs> so Mike is a. Uh, Somebody I, I kind of met through social media, and uh, I've been following him and watching watching his hunts take place. And he's one of those guys that just had does a really good job every hunting season. Uh, he's he's super passionate about hunting, and he's got one of those what I've talked about before the the perspectives of of a hunter that you may not hear otherwise. And and I I think that by not hearing from guys like Mike, we're really missing the boat. And so I, I'm really excited to have you on, Mike, and I appreciate you coming on, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Oh, I'm super happy to be here, and, and uh, I can't think of a better way to do the day. Yeah, well, uh, I, I can, I, if it was hunting, if we can go hunting. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> but, that's but, why we do after hunting season. <laughs> that's right, that's right, so. Mike, yeah, I'm just kind of in a lull here. I got a few days, but then it's, it's right. back at it. So looking forward to that. But um, let's start with uh, we tried this last time, and the internet was so bad I couldn't keep any of that. So we need to back up and start with uh, g- giving everybody a little bit of your background and telling us who you are, and we'll we'll just take the conversation from there. Okay. Well, I'm 61, so I got a lot of background, but so we'll just go over it briefly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was raised in Northern California. Mm-hmm. Um, back when, uh, when I first moved there with us, back when Reagan was the governor and it was, you know, a whole completely different state. And, uh, I wasn't, didn't come from a hunting family. I kind of picked it up when I, in my early teens, um, I learned from hunting magazines and books and, you know, the, we didn't have the internet or any of that stuff. So Look, um, when you, when you say you picked it up in your teens, what, what, triggered that were you just kind of somewhere and saw a hunting magazine or is it something you've you'd seen on tv or like what kind of influenced you to get into hunting i think i was born with it because you know though i didn't come from a hunting family we were a shooting family and a fishing family and we were always outdoors camping and stuff like that mm-hmm. and it just seems like when my dad and i would take these trips places and you know we'd have he'd have his 22 and i'd see a rabbit and first thing i'd say is shoot it (laughs) (laughs) and he's looking at me like why do you want to shoot it (laughs) so we can eat it and i'm just a little guy right Mm -hmm. and so i think it's just part of me you know and then then uh you know he he passed away when i was fairly young and so i from from there i just took it on my own and uh i picked up trapping and you know i lived in the country and i had neighbors and and let me trap their property and the creeks and i would help out uh you know the nuisance animals and the chickens and stuff like that for everybody and it was just kind of i think it was just part of me when i starting when i grew up wow did you have did you have a mentor i i guess it, at that early age i the only real mentor i would say was that was the neighbor that let me trap on his place and he took me horseback deer hunting when i was like 15 in in northern california northern california yeah up in the high sierras and that was the experience right there i think that just 
stuck with me. Yeah. You know, and I mean, he's a great old guy and, and he, you know, took this neighbor kid along with him and, it, you know, that's kind of held with, you know, stuck with me for a really long time. How old were you when that happened? I was probably 15. 15 or so? Yeah. And so you grew up in, in Northern California and hunting, fishing, trapping, shooting. Uh, uh, and then at some point you kind of, you well, pick it up from there. Just kind of pick it up from there. <laughs> so later on I moved up to very Northeast California. And up there it was, you know, where I grew up was heavy timber and thick and the foothills of Northern California, old logging and mining district. So when I was about 20, I moved up to Northeastern California and up there was the big mule deer and the, and you know, the wide open spaces and, you know, very similar to, to, I'd say, uh, Northwestern Nevada. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, you know, it's a small town. The whole County, I think had, you know, 9,000 people in the whole county, you know, and it was just, you know, I took it from there, ended up working on a ranch for, you know, quite a few years. And then I got a job at a gold mine in Nevada and I ended up over there. And so pretty much from then on, I, I, I worked in mining, um, uh, to back up a little bit that we talked about last time was that somewhere in those teens, I picked up the guitar. <laughs> oh and, yeah, yeah, yeah. We gotta hit that. <laughs> so, so there was this, there was this change for a while from hunting and fishing and trapping to music, and so I kind of followed that along. I was going to be a rock star or whatever. And then when I moved up there, I found well, there's no business in that up here, and so I got into this little country band, and we played all the, you know, the Ducks Unlimited, Unlimited dinners, the Fireman's Crab feeds, all the, you know, all that kind of stuff, and. Had a really good time until I got married, and then we just, you know, it just didn't work that way anymore. And so um, we didn't make any money, but we had a lot of fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, not a lot of money in that, is there? When you no, start it, buying microphones and speakers uh, and, <laughs> and amps and all that stuff, you know, and it was, yeah, it's a long time ago. It was in the 80s, and, and, and uh, things were a lot different. And, and you know, as well as I do, you're a musician, you know musicians are kind of finicky people and they're, you know, when it became more work than fun, that's when I shifted gears. You're so right. I, I used to relate it this way. It was like, people would be like, Whoa, what's it like having a band? And I'd be like, you know, um, I have, I have a four piece band and it's like, it's like having three girlfriends and, uh, they, it's, they're very creative people. And so they're very emotional. And so the bass player would call me up and he'd bitch about the guitar player doing this. And the guitar player would call me 10 minutes later and bitch about the bass player doing this. The drummer, all he cared about was taking Jack Daniels shots and and he was good. But uh, for some some reason, the bass and guitar players, uh, man, there was a lot of drama. Oh, boy. And that's what that's what this steered me away from. You know, and and I was probably lack of talent, too. But uh, (laughs) 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 but you know but but it was fun and i you know i got some very talented daughters they i can't even compare to their you know abilities as vocalists and musicians and and then and then that i'm considered a success um Mm -hmm. because they're very good and and they're passionate about it and you know they they have families and everything like the rest of us 
Are they are they playing in bands and and getting out there doing gigs and stuff? I got one daughter who has recorded some of her own music, and it's on Apple Music or iTunes or one of those. She's oh, cool. done some solo stuff like that, yeah. And uh, she's really good. And my older oldest daughter, she lives in Washington, and and uh, but when it's when we get together that we really you know we play, and we played some you know talent shows and you know stuff like that all three of us together before, you know a couple of years ago and that was so much fun I'll bet. you know stuff, stuff like that you know you know and is is what i keep my music for now just trying to be make it work is not yeah you know, that. <laughs> it's that's that's basically what I, I i love playing around a campfire and and uh horsing around with it i uh <laughs> i wrote a funny song now, now the kids needed they put your earmuffs on but uh, I wrote a funny song for Elk Camp around around the fire with my buddies, and it's called uh, "She Don't Feel Like My Sister When I Kiss Her." You think me and you can pick that up and throw a duet on it? That sounds like something that'd be kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's real bluegrassy hillbilly sounding. I love it. That's my stuff right there. Me too, man. <laughs> so you um, okay? So you had the band going. And uh, you you kind of shifted into this mining career, and and that's kind of where we we backtracked a little bit, and that that took you to Nevada, huh? Yeah, that took you to Nevada. I you know I made a oh I ended up back to California for a little bit, but pretty much it's been Nevada working in working in Nevada in the mines over there for. Um, I did do some when it kind of dropped off. I did some construction, built some house, you know, built houses and heavy equipment and stuff like that for a while but and then that was kind of going south and so i got back into mining mm-hmm. uh, i think it was around 2010 and i've been back ever since and it's provided a great living it's uh i've kind of always been one of those tramp distant distance miners you know i've lived in one place and work in another and, and uh, yeah because you're and, in idaho now and you travel you drive all the way over to back to nevada for for work right yeah so, yeah, so I, I I work out of Winnemucca there, and I travel back and forth on days off. I have a place I stay with a, one of my sons who's also in the mining industry and uh, another buddy. So we share uh, we share a place there. Oh, nice. And, and then on the days off, which is – in part of it is the schedule is great. You know, I work on four or five on, then I'm off for four or five. Yeah, so yeah that makes it four, nice for a hunting season. Yeah, I worked four days this week, and I'm off for five. So sweet. That works good. And yeah, especially for especially for hunting season because you know, come September, if I do it just right, I can take four off and get fourteen. And and so that seldom works that way, but you know, yeah. it's my always my plan. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that's a that's a critic critical element to success is time in the field and it's that that's really what can can make or break a hunter so that's that's ideal man i need i need a job like that <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty sweet I, I don't, don't get me wrong it's taxing mm-hmm. because you know, they're, they're 12 and a half hour days and and uh you know it's it's a long week you don't get me wrong and and uh, and you're working days and nights and yeah but, what what brought you to idaho i have all, i i would have to say it's like been my been my uh, dream state since probably around ni- 1980 when I had a buddy of mine that I was working with and he all he ever talked about was Idaho uh-huh. right 
all this hunting and fishing and all this stuff is so great in Idaho. And, you know, and then later on, I ended up uh, meeting some friends and I stayed up in Emmett for a while. And that worked out, you know, I was like, holy mackerel, I'm going to end up here someday. But, you know, I was still the family thing and the, and all that stuff where I was at. And so it's always just been a plan. And uh, so it, it just eventually came together. I, I, I know I haven't been here that long, but I've been, you know, I've been coming up here hunting for a lot of years. And, and uh, it's just, to me, it's home, you know. Yeah, I, you know. yeah for sure. Um, that is... Uh, I, I think for a lot of people, I, Idaho is just home, you know, whether you're from here originally or, or whatever, it's just a sense of, there's a sense of homeness to Idaho. And I don't care what part of the state you're in, except for Pocatello, man, <laughs> yeah, it's just barren down there. What are you guys doing down there? Yeah. <laughs> but, you, know, you know, Nevada's nice, right? Yeah. Nevada, Nevada's all right. If you know, I mean, it has its own beauty and own, you know, mm-hmm. benefits. And, in, and California is a beautiful state. It's just I can't do the politics, and yeah, and you know they've completely destroyed all the, you know what you, it used to be when when I was a kid, and and so uh, you know of course Idaho is like the last man standing, you know, and and unfortunately I, I realize that it, everybody thinks that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. It's definitely exploding growth-wise. But um, what do you mean by it's the last man standing? As far as you know, the values and the and the the way of life. Yeah. I mean, I, I realize that maybe Montana and, and Wyoming still share some of that too. But in my eyes, it's just like you know, it's the last frontier. Sort of. I always told myself I was just going to keep moving north. Yeah, right. <laughs> man. If I, I've only got like I, I can't go much further north, or I'll end up in Canada. Yeah, you're 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 about as far as you can go and still be in the states. <laughs> well, I have I have a little while. I you got you got Sandpoint and Bonner's Ferry up north of me, but other than that, that's uh, it doesn't take very long to get to Canada from my place. Yeah, you're not too far out of Lewiston, are you? I'm I'm like uh, I'm, I'm it's exactly two hours to Lewiston from my place. I'm I'm north just outside of Coeur d'Alene a little bit. I was up there last winter oh, in my wolf certification class. I was I was down in Lewiston last week looking at a roof um, at, at the paper mill that makes that whole valley smell like freaking <laughs> yeah. what it smells like, you know. And so it's, it smells like the towns that I grew up in used to smell from the from the lumber mills. Yeah, yeah, the lumber it's, the it's, lumber mills and and then but you got that big Clearwater Paper Company there. And yep. it's uh, it's pretty stinky. If it weren't for that, I'd consider living in Lewiston because it's a good central location, and they don't get that much snow. They're down lower elevation, you know. You drop off that that high uh, that the, the Palouse there, and drop down into Lewiston, and it's it's pretty nice. They get like one week of snow each winter, which would be really nice because I get sick of snow, man. I'm getting too old for it. Yeah, I'm with you there. So, and what part of Idaho are you in now? I'm I'm out in Payette. What I want to talk about a little bit, and we started talking about this last time when the internet failed us. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the Idaho tag situation versus living in Nevada and that tag situation. Can you can you kind of describe that and talk about that a little bit? Yeah, Nevada. Basically, anything bigger than a coyote, you have to draw for. You know, deer, antelope, 
there's no, no there's no over the counter right there's no over the counter so and they have a point system um i believe it's just called a straight point system there's a bonus point system there's no preference points so it's not all split up into these different things mm-hmm. but it's, a, it's just a bonus point system if you apply for a tag and you don't get it you get a bonus point or you can just buy the point and so it pretty much takes for and you have to you know you you apply for a cow or a bull so let's say let's just use elk for example mm-hmm. you have to apply for a cow or a bull now when i first started hunting elk in, in nevada you could only apply for one or the other you couldn't even buy a point for them and so when i first got interested in hunting elk it was like well do i want to hunt elk or do i want to wait seven or eight years or more for a bull tag well i want to hunt elk so I started applying for these cow tags and you could, at the time you could draw them fairly easily because the, usually the only people that were at the time that were applying for cow tags were on their waiting period from a bull tag. So at the time that if you, at the time, if you didn't harvest, you had to wait five years. If you did harvest, you had to wait 10. Now I believe it's seven and seven. Uh, either way, either way, you gotta wait seven years from the time you, draw tag to buy for a bull tag again. Jeez. So, so the, the demand for the archery cow tags wasn't that great. And so three years in a row, I drew archery cow tags and I got super lucky the very first year and, and took me all season, but I got my, my first elk and then of course I'm hooked. Right. Mm-hmm. Now Nevada doesn't do the archery hunter any favors as far as it, that cow season opens August 1st. And so, and then the bulls start opening around the 16th. And so you're hunting mid-August for bulls, you know, and earlier than that for cows. So you're not getting I think the Utah's rest. like that too. Yeah, I believe Utah's similar. Mm-hmm. Um, but so they're, you know, it's all spot and stock, sit on water, whatever it is. And uh, for you might catch some of the. Premium units start for bulls start like the 25th or 6th of August. Don't put me on it. And then they go into September a little ways. So you might catch some rut action on that. And then the muzzleloaders start up. If you're a muzzleloader hunter, you're catching peak rut. Gotcha. And, so, and that's a big difference. Of course, Idaho is really friendly to the archery hunter. You know, we start off on the 30th and we have a whole month. And their seasons are in Nevada are generally two weeks. So. So, like, essentially, if you're an elk hunter living in Nevada, you're, you can basically, you're not going every year. Yeah, you're not going, especially, for, well, I mean, for bulls, you can only, you every know. Every seven years or whatever, yeah. Every seven years, and that's yeah. just before you start applying. What about deer? Right. Deer's a little easier. Um, now, it depends on where you want to go. Some of the higher demand units are a little harder to draw, but you can, if you pick and choose and you're not real picky about where you you go an archery nevada archery tag for for residents and non-residents is 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 attainable you know just about every year Um, i was pretty lucky about drawing a deer tag now if you wanted to go like on the eastern part of nevada or something like that you might wait a couple years for a deer tag but um and i'm just speaking archery because that's my only yeah yeah you basically only hunt archery don't you Oh yeah, I love it. I can't, I can't think of anything else. I, I mean, I've hunted rifle and 
And I've killed some nice deer in California with a rifle. And I'll tell you what, when you got an elk walking, you know, a bull elk coming up to eight yards at you, you're not going to hunt any other way. Oh, I know. Yeah, there's just <laughs> something know. about it. Man. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. So that kind of leads into the discussion of, uh, you know, this – there's a lot of talk, especially with all the fuss and feathers that Idaho Fishing Game has created with non-residents lately. Um, there's a lot of talk about how, oh, well, Idaho's eventually just going to go to a draw system like everybody else. And, and you know, that's that, that's a pretty touchy subject. What, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, as far as a draw system like we already have, um, I guess if, I realize that the red, you know, it's not the non-resident hunters that are overcrowding. That's the same amount. I can't, I don't even know when it was 96 or wasn't it, wasn't it when that number was set? Yeah, it was a long time ago, but they, they weren't selling out back then where now they sell out. And, and that's cause I, I used to think that, well, I don't know why everybody's complaining about non-residents when, uh, it's, it's, you know, the same amount of tags, but the, it, that's what it, I figured it out. Uh, or I was told, that's what it is, is, is the difference is, is they were selling out like in the late 90s, and then they stopped selling out for a long time, and like five years ago, the non-resident tags started selling out again. Ho, ho, ho! Are you guys thinking about getting some hunting gear for Christmas, whether it's for you, where you're going to be your own Santa Claus, or are you? do you have a hunter in mind that you want to get some hunting gear for? Well, let me just tell you a couple of sponsors that we have here on the show that will save you a little bit of money. And the first one being Hoffman Boots. My favorite go-to boot company out there is Hoffman. And let me tell you something. You are not chintzing out by getting you a set of Hoffman boots. I run the Explorers in the 8-inch. You can also get the 6-inch. You can get the uh, the Summit boots, which are really badass. And these boots, I, I've trusted these boots for years. This is not some new thing for me. I love my Hoffman boots. I've had all the big-name brands of boots out there, and I can promise you that I will never buy anything but Hoffman again, save you a little bit of money because the Hoffmans aren't quite as expensive, but yet don't let that take away from the quality of these boots. They will last a long time and they are worth every cent. And to make it even sweeter for you this holiday season, if you use the promo code HUNTSMAN15, all caps lock, that's going to save you 15% at checkout. Great boots, great warranty, great product. Check it out at hoppinboots.com. Moving right into the scree gear. Guys, you know I've run scree gear for, for a while now. If you listen to this show, I'm a big fan of scree. This is high-performance hunting attire and gear. It's scientifically tested camo patterns, and it's backed by a great company. They named the company after scree rock, and they changed the spelling on it. You know you know that, that shell rock kind of stuff you find at the bottom of base cliffs? That's where they got the name, and it's a Western hunting company. And here's what's cool right now. So they're, they've got two patterns, and one of their patterns is called the Mountain Stealth, and that pattern is getting discontinued, much to my dismay, because that's what I run. I like the Mountain Stealth. It's, it's a lot better for most of the terrain that I hunt in, but they are having a, uh, they're doing away with it, so they've got a huge deal going on. It's like 30% off of the Mountain Stealth Scree Gear. So if, if you have the inclination to get re-outfitted for new camo for next year, go to ScreeGear.com and check out anything in the Mountain Stealth. 
I highly recommend the Elite Starter Bundle. It's probably the best bang for your buck. And if you get it in the Mountain Stealth, I think it's that's going to run to like the last day of September. I've got September on my mind. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> last day of December, uh, that 30% off is going to be taking place. So go check it out at screedeer.com. Now, if you do use the Mountain Stealth, that is going to be a better discount than what my promo code can offer you. But I, I would ask, please mention in the comments somewhere that you did hear that at the Western Huntsman uh, on the show. Uh, I appreciate that from the bottom of my heart when you do that. Uh, and, and if you're not using that and you need a promo code because you're going to get the other stuff, then use promo code the Western Huntsman and that's going to save you 15% off and free shipping. It's a great deal and uh, you're going to love your spree gear. Last but not least is Phelps Game Calls. Phelps Game Calls is the go-to call company for the Western Huntsman, whether we're talking deer, bear, and especially elk. Phelps Game Call, they, those calls have put down more elk than the plague. And you guys, if, if you follow along with the, the whole brand of Phelps, it's a wonderful company story filled with great people. They do excellent products, excellent customer service, great warranties, great company. You, you just can't go wrong. Go to phelps.com, use promo code HUNTSMAN10 and save 10% off your Phelps calls uh, Phelps calls for uh, next season. It's coming up. I know. We, we're we in Christmas right now. It's Christmas, but September's going to be here before you know it. So go check it out at phelps.com. Let's get back to the episode, guys. Thanks a bunch. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, when I first started buying, and you're, I totally agree, when I first started coming up here and hunting, they couldn't give away their tags. Yeah. Right. And you could buy a second one at a second one at a reduced price. Mm-hmm. And, and first started out, I think it was elk and then deer or either whichever way it was. And then now, of course, they, the fiasco they just had December 1st, uh, you know, I think everything sold out in, you know, that day. Yeah. I think it know. did too. I think it did too. I think, I think the only, well, and I could be wrong, but I think the only holdout was the panhandle, um, unit and where I, I think that it took 48 hours and it sold out other than that i think everything sold out super quick yeah and that it's just amazing that how fast it went because you know i my son you know he lives in nevada he comes up and hunts with me mm-hmm. and so he likes to be able to get a tag you know it's not not all non-residents are coming from uh, you know iowa or whatever you know a lot wow. of them or, or there's a lot, a lot of our family and stuff that come up to hunt with us, and and uh, it was tough. He didn't get an elk tag. He, he he did get a deer tag. So it it's a frustrating conversation because I see both sides of it. I I I have definitely been frustrated with out of staters, right? But I'm oh, yeah. also an out of stater in, uh, in in all the other states, and I like to go out of state and hunt. And so it's it's kind of this thing where it's it is frustrating sometimes to see the the amount of non-residents in one area and but really if if it if somebody asked me what the biggest problem is from my perspective in the state of Idaho is not non-residents it's actual we we've had a huge influx of resident hunters and there's there's a there's a lot of them a lot of them are like these adult onset hunters and I'm glad they're here, and I'm glad they're they're involved in hunting. Uh, but I feel like that in a, in a lot of cases, that's what's jamming up a lot of these units, with the exception of a few down south in central Idaho and 
and down south uh, there, there's a couple of pr- uh, units in particular that that get pretty hammered by by non-residents but like up in my neck of the woods um we get a lot of non-residents coming from the spokane area because it's a, it's a big metro area and the 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 seasons are a lot more favorable to uh, you know archery elk hunters to come over and get a get an idaho tag and come on over here and hunt and so we we see that but it's it's not like those those few specific units where I, I feel like you know the the biggest the biggest influx in hunter, hunting populations in the state of Idaho is definitely residents. We've got a ton of new residents. When I first moved to Idaho, there weren't even a million people in the state of Idaho, and I, I aren't we like hitting two million people like right now? Are yeah, we're, we're scratching that. I think I, I I was listening to Randy Newberg the other day. I think he said Idaho is like eighty percent. Yeah, in, in, since 1990 or something like that. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy, and, yeah. and I saw that in Utah too. Utah, we, we, I remember as a kid, we were the only ones on the mountain, and um, no, there's not. It's not a wildly popular state for non-residents to go to, uh, and but we did see a huge influx of Californians moving into Utah, and the, by the time I was a teenager, man, you couldn't, it, you had to like wear a flak jacket and a Kevlar helmet to go deer hunting because bullets were flying everywhere. Oh yeah, I remember as a kid, you know, everybody hunted, right? So mm-hmm. and tag, you just went to, you just went down to the hardware store and bought your tag. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, and so I see hunting pressure starting now, like it was then. I mean, it was a lot of people out. I mean, everybody was in the hills. Yeah. And but it was kind of, a, I don't think the expectations, you know, were the same because we just went out and you hoped to find a deer and you know, you, if you did, then you got lucky. If not, then you had a good time. And and uh, and that's still my motto, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, but, yeah. Still so kind of a the, pastime. Yeah, so it took a dip, I think, for a long time. And and now it's becoming, especially in the Western states, you know, all the social media and the YouTube, you know, the born and raised and all those guys and has really made – and I'm not saying I'm not blaming it on them, but they they've really made it visible. I am. It's Trent's fault. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I, I I I blame everything on Randy Bird. You know, <laughs> I like my, that. I like that policy. <laughs> my honey hole got blown up this year, and I've I've seen one person in six or seven years, my, and it turned into a Walmart parking lot. And it's like that's Randy Newberg's fault. All his yeah. scouting stuff, all his, you know. And <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's something to it. I'm sure there's something to it. That's why on this show I'm super careful about like you know I'm very very generalized when I talk about locations. Um, oh yeah. Whether here or, or, or elsewhere, but um, the, getting back to that kind of the the tag draw conversation. Uh, and you know the versus OTC um, that's it's it is a hot topic like I said and I, I guess from my perspective I I want to caution people that have never lived in a state where it's it's all draw uh, it does make yeah. it it makes it very difficult when you're when you're passionate about hunting and you want you want to be out there every year which what what hunter doesn't like I'm always blown away you got these these dudes that live, uh, these folks that live like maybe back east, but they they they're way into elk hunting, and they only do it once every five years or once every ten years. I can't live like that. I I need to be out in the elk woods every year, 
Uh, I live for that. You know what I mean? And so when, uh, for example, I I lived in Utah for a spell uh, after – so I moved to Idaho and then uh, after the service, and then I moved back to Utah. took a job down in kind of the Salt Lake area for a few years. My wife and I hated it, so we came back up. And and it, it's it's not that we hated Utah, but I hated the the hunting seasons and and these this weird overly complicated draw where I can get an OTC tag for a spike bull, but a general any season bull was like this draw, and the deer you know you couldn't put in with a bunch of buddies and go to deer camp anymore because everybody had to draw the tag unless you wanted yeah. to go to this northern unit where there were no deer left and you know it was just it was just chaos. And, oh, yeah. and I told my wife I, I took a lesser job back in Idaho because the the hunting is just a lot more favorable because I can just go to Walmart and grab a tag, and I've got lots of time, lots of game, lots of area, lots of public land, and and we can hunt and we can live that way. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And you know I've got to admit that you know that had a lot to do with my decision, you know, to finally take the plunge. Mm-hmm. And say, okay, it you know we're in Idaho. I mean, after not drawing, you know, because after the first three years I drew a cow tag, they changed the rules to where you could put in for both. And now everybody wanted a cow tag, and then I went two years without drawing a cow tag. Well, I was hunting here at the same, you know, if I didn't draw a tag, sure I'll come here. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's just like, why am I doing this, All right? You know, it took me six years to to draw a bull tag, and I got burned out by a fire, <laughs> you know, the mm-hmm. fourth day. You know, and so, and then I, and then you have to wait seven years, no matter what, right? And it's like, why am I doing this? You know, my passion is, you know, archery hunting, elk hunting, deer hunting, animal hunting, but mostly elk hunting. Mm-hmm. And and this is the perfect place for it. And I think with what you're saying about, you know, the a draw system in Idaho, uh, you know, I don't see how we're going to get out of some sort of restrictions somewhere down the line. Um, at least in certain areas, uh, from the from the resident influx. Yeah, um, there, I don't. I know, think you're right. I mean, we we the it's it's it only is common sense that something's going to have to change it at some point. But if we could push the OTC tags, you know, as available and as widespread as the units are, uh, the freedom that we have in Idaho to hunt is is such a uh, foundational part of being an Idahoan. I'd hate to see that change. Yeah, I, th- I think a lot. You know, a lot of folks take it for granted what we have. I do too. Um, I do too. You know, um, coming from a state that, and not only that, California. You know, there, there is. I live where draw only, and shoot, I'm looking at, you know, thirty inch mule deer out my window, and I can't hunt them, right? So I'm getting out of there. In Nevada, you know, you wait. You know, you wait for these, for these tags. You know, and then you got to wait all the all these waiting periods, like antelopes three years or whatever it is. But real deer, you can go every year. But I think we take it for granted what we have here, and you see all this, you know, on social media. It's like as soon as the tags come out, and you know, as the draw comes out, oh, we got to go to a draw system. We need points. Yeah. You know, and and I really caution people on it. You know, being careful what you wish for, because once you get in that, there's no getting out that that I can see, and it just seems to me that, you know, it takes more and more and more points to to get, you know, let some of these premium units especially 
Yeah. If they can push through, if they can push them through fast enough, uh, you know, like antelope in Nevada is not too bad. You know, three four years after your waiting period, you can usually draw one. Um, but some of those elk units are just ridiculous. And of course, they don't have the resource we have. But still, that you know, it's 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 because they look at Colorado, all these other states that do the same thing. It's it's you know, it's just a ridiculous mess. And and I hear I see all these. And in Nevada, when the point when the tags come out, right, you hear this. The opposite, you know, crime, right? It's like, well, we got to get rid of this system. It's terrible. Yeah, it, that's, how, that's how it was in Utah. Everybody was complaining about the system there. Yeah. Um, you, okay. you know, and I, I, I was one of them. I, I'd complain about it every freaking year. It's like, this is yeah. this is ridiculous. I can't get a tag in the unit that. So my family has a ranch in Utah, in central Utah, and there's monster mule deer on this thing. Yeah, you know, and, and just in the foothills, right out, right off the the, the property line there, uh, there, there's just these monster mule deer that that run through this country, and I could never get a tag for it. I, I never, and it's not like it's some major premium unit. It's just there, like there were these, uh, you know, people from coming up from like Texas and Florida and all these other states that could go hunt around our ranch, but I couldn't uh, because that tag was so difficult to get. And then the other side, you can get a tag. Uh, but none of your buddies could, so you were hunting alone. That's how I became a solo hunter. <laughs> you know, and so, a lot of it here too, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so it, now it's a mess, and and I do, I think you're right. You hit it, you hit kind of the nail on the head there when you said that a lot of people maybe take take advantage of it, or or they they take it for granted, not take advantage. They take it for granted, uh, and because maybe they they've never lived somewhere where it was a different system, and it's it's a very difficult pill to swallow. Uh, when you have to make hard decisions about what species you're going to hunt, what unit you're going to hunt, everything's so restricted. And honestly, I, I just like that. My, the I want nothing to do with it personally. And so I'm I'm hoping things can can you know stay the way they are for a while uh, in terms of how residents can get tags because it's it's ideal. I'm telling you guys, if if you haven't lived anywhere else, it's ideal here. Yeah, this is the this is the perfect place, and I could see what the you know why they did what they did with the non-residents, right? Spread them out. Yeah, and I understand. I completely agree with that. I completely understand. Now, what the areas I hunt has never been an issue, but I realize it has been in other places. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the re- the redistribution of them, you know, I totally get. You know, and and uh, but I'm just hoping that for residents that we can hang on to what we have for as long as we can, because it really is, you know, the best deal out there. Um, there's not very many places like that out there that we can just go and buy a tag pretty much. And you can hunt elk every year, no matter what, mm-hmm. if you want to hunt elk. Yep, and deer. And deer. Yep, yeah. and, and it's that's that's a beautiful thing. And we it, you, the other thing that makes Idaho so great is, is uh, you know, we're like 63% public land. And so there's there are places, and... I know in the unit that I elk hunt, it it can there in one part of that unit specifically. People talk about overcrowding and and all that kind of stuff. It does get crowded in this particular section of the, this unit, but I am I'm telling you right now, most of those people don't get off the road, and, and that's where that's where you know you could you can you'll find elk away from the road. Not, not that I think you have to go, you know, into the back country ten miles or anything like that. It's not like that, but that's that's a huge issue. 
most of these hunters are are they're road hunters. They're driving around. They'll hike for you know a hundred yards up on a hill and sit in glass and and but they they don't leave. They don't get off the roads very. They don't get off their ATVs. They don't travel into the woods. And when when I the where I started my elk hunt this year. There was camps everywhere, and I, I was a little concerned. We set up camp, and, and I'm like kind of driving around doing some scouting, and I'm like, man, there is a lot of people up here this year. I've never seen it this crowded, and, and it, it had been like that all summer too. Uh, we go up there and camp in the summer to, to you know mess around on the river and and whatever, and uh, I, it was more crowded ever, and it's because of COVID-19, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, and I've got a, my brother-in-law works in, in the RV industry and he's like, yep, that this year they've sold like double the RVs than they do in their best years in the past because everybody, nobody's taking vacations they're buying RVs and going camping or whatever. So th- anyways, the point being as crowded as it was, I found myself with basins all on all, all to myself many times because I would just get away from the road. And so that, you know, let I don't care who's camped down low. As long as I'm, when, when I'm up in elk country, uh, it's, it's not getting bombarded. So public yeah, lands, go ahead. Oh, no, I, I think you brought up a really good point about, you know, it's not just the influx of hunters. Uh, we've had a huge influx of recreational users. Yep. Just that just are just riding dirt bikes. And, you know, I've got cameras out in the back country during the summer and on forest service trails and, you know, there's, you know, it's, man, there was trail runners and motorcycle, I mean, motorcycles you usually see, but, you know, just all the people that were miles back in there that mm-hmm. I had not seen before, you know, and it's, it's, that has an effect, you know. Definitely. Yeah, that that's, uh, I was talking to somebody on the show and they were, they were saying that basically that's what a lot of the, the wildlife biologists say is, is one of the biggest detriments to our wildlife in terms of where they migrate, where they, how they pattern. Uh, where they feed, where they bed, all that kind of stuff. The biggest thing that the biggest disruption is recreational users. Uh, the, you know, the people that are going out backpacking, they're not hunting, uh, but they're out there all year long, and it's it's creating issues for for the wildlife. I don't know, but you know, I I wish sometimes I wish I was a scientist so I could like study this stuff as a job. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I'm not. But to, your, but to your point though, you know, even though that. Those people are out there. The, the you know the hunters are out there and everything. There are places you can find, not usually very far off the road. I don't go as far as I used to go when I'm actually hunting elk. I'll scout elk way back in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I saw you. You were posting pictures of you ten miles back off the road. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but when it actually comes. When I'm solo hunting and I'm, you know, 61 years old, I have to, have to pick my battles, you know, mm-hmm. and and I'm fortunately I've been able to find, you know, the, like you said, those basins and stuff that even though there's people all around, you just find that they're, they're there, you know. So you brought up a good point there. What like with your age, in in your experience with hunting, you've been. You went out on that that first hunting trip when you were like 15 on horseback with your with your neighbor. Um, what do you see as the biggest change to hunting? Uh, and, and, you know, not like an easy one like social media. You know, technology aside, what what do you think has changed most drastically since you started hunting to now? Oh, boy. That's um, a loaded question, right? That is a loaded question. Well, I'll just have to go with 
with, uh, and I'm not going to blame social media or anything for this or whatever, but, um, you know, back when I was, when I was younger, we had, we'd go hunting and, there, you know, it seems like all the bars had a big buck contest, right? Mm-hmm. And you'd see, you know, if somebody killed, if somebody happened, and there was the same people that seemed to get really nice bucks, you know, year after year, and they had their little spot. And, and you'd, but anybody could put in, you know, you know, could, you know, sign up for the big buck contest. It was just fun. Right. Down and, at the bar. Yep. Down at the bar, you know, and, and, you know, the pictures were on, you know, were on the walls and, and, and that stuff. And nobody, I mean, you really scored a buck by its width. Just basically that was it. How yeah, I, say, how say I, that one more time. We basically this. The only scoring that I recall was how wide it was. Yeah, right? I remember those days. I I actually remember those days. I I remember. I used to think that when the these everybody that scores their mule deer, especially, uh, I always used to look at that as like that was an East Coast Midwest whitetail thing. Like we said, we all we talked about was the width of the antler. So it, it's funny you brought that up because I was thinking about that the other day. Interesting. Yeah. I'm sorry, I have an incoming call there. But, um, so now, I mean, back then, so like, like, you know, like, man, if you got a 30-inch buck, you got a giant buck, 28-inch buck, mm-hmm. and or a four-point. A four-point was a big buck. It didn't matter what kind of four-point it was. You got a four-point. Um, and that's how, you know, it was, there was none of this, well, I'm going to let him grow another year, uh, you know, or you know, I'm going to pass on him. You know, if you saw a nice, you know, decent buck, you know, that's what you, that's what you shot if you could. Yeah. And, and you were proud of it. And I just see, it seems to be, uh, you know, um, I'm around a lot of people that count every centimeter. <laughs> they count every inch. They walk, and it's like, that is what's so important to them. And don't get me wrong. I have nothing against it. Any way anybody hunts, you know, there's legal and ethical. I have no problem with. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Not at all. But th- but to me, this seems to be a trend. This, you know, it's all about you know your points. Who's the, the biggest, baddest? The on, you know, who's got the? Yeah. I mean, the we all like, we all like to shoot a big bull or a big buck or you know or whatever. But you know, it just seems like the. Uh, I'm just old old timer. I you know I to me it's the experience and that and I'm just so blessed to be able to go. Yeah, I'm the same way. I've never yeah. scored a buck. I, I, well, I've never scored anything, especially. I, and I've I've shot some decent mule deer, and uh, you know, especially back in the days before there was social media. And I, I've told this story before on the show. I I've got my biggest mule deer buck I ever take or I've ever taken. <laughs> I, I didn't even take like a grip and grin kind of picture with it. I just I killed it and threw it in the truck and uh and and that was it, you know. But that was before. All the social media stuff. I think there was MySpace back then. Do you remember MySpace? I do remember MySpace. I had, I had a MySpace account when it came out. Yeah. yeah, I did too for the band. I had it for the yeah. band. Yeah. <laughs> what happened to them? I don't know. I think Facebook kind of kicked their ass and and, yeah, and uh, they dissipated into the, the yep into the universe. And so, no, I I agree. Uh, that's uh, I I I'm I'm getting a kick out of the just measuring the width thing because that was that was how we did it when i when growing up and that was it uh, i shot a 24 inch buck or a, a 32 inch buck and i remember 32 inches this one guy 
um, at I, it was in high school, and his dad shot a 32-inch buck. And I, I remember begging him to let me come see this buck because I'd never seen a 32-inch wide buck, you know. And, and so it was just cool. Nobody talked about score. And and not I, I, like you said, I'm not against people scoring. Um, I'm just not going to do it because that's, that's not what my goal is. But other people, that's that's a priority, and that's, that's totally fine. Um, but, uh, you know, I just, I don't know. It's not, it's not that important to me, but getting out there and getting, getting something down, getting a tag notch, getting that meat in the freezer. That's, that's what my priority is. And I, I do worry with, with the huge influx of residents and every, the way that people are talking these days, uh, that, that this tag discussion and draw discussion is going to lead to less opportunities because that's that's my experience with it in other states you know and so interesting absolutely yeah and i think a lot of people think you know think it's amazon right you just you know you should go out there and be able to get what you want mm. you know and uh it it's not like that it never has really been yeah there's been better eras than others and for sure, and the, and the populations go up and down. The age class goes up and down, and of course now we got wolves, and we can go on the, that rabbit hole. But you know, you know more so with wolves. What what I would say is, what's threatening to our our mule deer right now is is going to be the fact of what we were just talking about. People being so hyper focused on scoring their bucks that they're looking for these huge bucks in areas where there's whitetail and mule deer. And I know people might roll their eyes when I when I talk about this, but in those areas where the whitetail and the mule deer come together, the research is there. The research is done. It, we need to leave those big mature bucks alone. Like, don't shoot those ones. Those are the ones protecting the mule deer does from the whitetail bucks that are coming in and want to breed everything that they can find. And and that it's not that's not my opinion that's that's from a guy that's been researching this since the 1960s you know and and so that that is a whole other discussion that i know if i if i took like a super hard stance on that would get a lot of hunters super fired up you know what i mean because I, oh, yeah. I i i am a firm believer in in uh, dr valerius geist and and his research and his um you know basically what he came up with was th- that's how we that's how they rehabilitated these mule deer herds in British Columbia was leaving those big bucks alone on only sh- so a lot of people talk about you know point restrictions oh only shoot a three point or better I'm of the opinion of point restriction uh, of the opinion of point restrictions in the opposite direction man that was a tongue twister for me sorry about that <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know three point or less shoot those ones don't shoot yeah. those big ones and and i'm speaking only in areas where mule deer and white-tailed deer coexist you know i'm not talking about uh some of those southern units in in idaho and some of those areas in wyoming and utah where where there's only mule deer that's it that's negated the point at that point but where where these white-tail are coming together with a mule deer i have a strong opinion on that and i have a strong opinion on on shooting mule deer does in those areas and i took some flack for saying that uh, a couple episodes back, but I, I'll take it again. I, I I have a strong opinion on that. Yeah, and that that conversation with Dr. Geist really enlightened me because I have seen the influx, and I have nothing against whitetails, you know, but I've seen the the influx of whitetails in the other country and the number of 
white tails increase while the number of mule deer, to, in my layman's eyes, seems to have decreased. Oh, uh, that, don't have to, that's what it was for me, just layman's eyes noticing that exact thing, like you said. But then I had this guy, this Dr. Geist, come on the show and talk about why that happens and how to prevent it. Prevent it. And nobody wants to listen. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's and, and, and that's, you know, I can see where that would be hard to swallow for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Not, the, not the data, but just because that would affect our hunts, right? That would affect it's gonna, us. It's going to affect their social media, their Instagram likes, because the bucks <laughs> they're shooting aren't monsters. You don't have to worry about me shooting them big bucks. <laughs> <laughs> me either, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that's that's... So you're more of a mule deer guy. You, have you have you ever gone whitetail hunting? I have. You know, my son when he was uh, when he was stationed back, or when he, well, he went to boot camp back east, but uh, he, he went to college back east, and so he got he was you know hunting whitetails and and, and all that kind of stuff. And so I, you know, I thought, well, you know, you know, you've seen all those shows, right? The guy gets up in a blind and he yeah. and he's just there and waits on his food plot and. You know, nothing against that either, right? That's, there's a, man, that is probably, you know, probably more people do that than we can even imagine of us being elk hunters. More people do that but, than elk hunting, yeah, like you said. You know, and so it's not nothing against it, but it was just like I had this thing, you know, it's like, well, I really didn't have any kind of <clears throat> interest in, in white tails, but hang on a second. <clears throat> I scratch. Um, but then I, started hunting central Idaho and then lo and behold, there's whitetails. Mm-hmm. It's like, huh, well, I've never shot a whitetail with my bow. I've shot blacktail, mule deer, you know, whatever. And well, I haven't shot blacktail with my bow. I should only shot my rifle. That's on the list, but I'd never shot a whitetail. So I made it my point that year to shoot a white, to try to shoot a whitetail with my bow. And I did, you know, it was a doe, but I, it, that that hide is on my table in front of me right now, mm-hmm. and that was really cool. Um, I missed a chance at a really nice whitetail buck, but that was. Did know, did okay. you did you tan the hide yourself? No, I sent it off to be tanned. I'm, not, I'm thinking about starting to do that again. I haven't done that in years. Yeah, my son did. Yeah, my son was doing it for me. When, you know, he was tanning my elk hides, my antelope hides, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of work for him, you know. And and it's like. My taxidermist does it for 125 bucks. So. <laughs> oh, that's a pretty good deal. Yeah, I, that's, yeah, that's been my hesitation. I haven't done it. I actually, I saved, I saved uh, a deer hide a few weeks ago and left it kind of out in my my yard there to to hang for a minute. And I was gonna, I was gonna try to tan this thing out, and the freaking coyotes came in and drug it off the night at no. the, that night. So it's gone. Got ripped apart. I found pieces of it. <laughs> I'm going to sauce those bastards. They keep coming onto my pro. I think they're after my cats. So, oh, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, so uh, way to get me thrown off, man. Oh, yeah, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wrong guy if you want to stay on track. <laughs> no, I was, uh, I, was, I was way, well, I still am way into mule deer. I love mule deer hunting, and I love the country they live in. I love the the way that they present themselves that just there there's just something super majestic about a big mature mule deer buck but i i, I have just been these this mountain whitetail hunting not 
not sitting over a food plot, you know, on your farm in, you know, Tennessee or something like that where they're, they, these bucks never leave. Uh, and they have a, they have what seems to be a much smaller range. Uh, I've been way into these whitetails that live in the mountains and they, they got to deal with wolves and bears and, you know, even coyotes and, and this western mountain whitetail hunting thing. It's, it's a whole different ballgame and I, I, it's pretty addicting. It's been fun. Yeah, and I've been following along, and, and it's got me intrigued on the mountain whitetails, you know. Yeah, um, it's, yeah something it's, like, wow. it it's something else. It is something else. something uh, yeah. I don't have to think about, you know. They're uh, crazy. All that, except all that snow. Yeah, the snow, <laughs> the snow part sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My wife has a elk tag that's, that reopened on the 1st of December, and it's like uh, an archery, and it's like, well, maybe yeah. we'll. <laughs> I'm I'm braving it. I'm braving it, man. This late season archery opens on the 10th for me, and I have I have like three different areas plotted out, ready to go. Uh, and I'm I'm actually I just started kind of packing for it because uh, I I the, actually it's cool. It's a cool story. Idaho Pack Company initial ascent uh, selected me to be one of their hunters for their uh, the Brotherhood of the Traveling Pack. And so now I'm switching everything over from from the pack that I usually use to this pack to try it out, you know. And I've got That's that awesome. almost done. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Uh, it's 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 going to be interesting because I've never I've never hunted elk this late in the game, and we are slated to start snowing tomorrow, and it's going to snow pretty much based on my app on my phone the whole time I'm out there, and uh, it's going to be interesting. We'll see how it goes, man. Well, hopefully it gives some sort of predictability to it. Um, yeah, you know, I, I feel like elk, you know I don't know how they migrate their migration habits up there and stuff. But. I, I don't think it's too much different than the areas you hunt. Other than I don't think they go as far. Or, I, well, I don't. I guess I should say I, I don't know if you're talking about summer versus winter range, or if you're talking about like their day to day migrating from top of the hill down to the the lower areas to feed. More like summer versus winter. Oh range. yeah, yeah, yeah. They 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 don't go nearly as far as they do down south. Uh, there there's just not a lot of necessity for it, and and I would argue that a lot of the times the bulls don't move at at all. Um, so yeah. that's uh, that's going to be one of the things I I might need to borrow. If anybody's listening and has a snowmobile, I could borrow. Uh, <laughs> I, let me know. Give me your rental prices and and let me know because uh, I I don't have one. There you go. Yeah, need one. But um, that that was you got that elk. I wanted to ask you about that the elk you got this year, and what was that? Was it coyotes that came and got the back end of that thing? You know, I'm I, I'm not. I know it was. I'm reasonably sure it was not wolves because I think they would eat the whole thing. I do too. I feel like it, it. Somebody when you posted that, somebody was like asking about wolves, and I was like, I don't think so. They would have shredded that thing. My my guess it was a coyote or bear. Um, I was I was sleeping within 100 yards of it. Oh no, kidding! Yeah, because I had shot it in the evening, uh-huh. and you know there was a lot of elk in there when I shot it, and they all went out the same trail, and just wiped out the blood the blood trail. Wow. And so, I I followed it as far as I could, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to stomp all over everything here. So I backed out and just camped right there, and and. First light, I went up and I, and I found it. And it was and it was already like that. Yeah, they, and, uh, 
just yeah. ate the one like the whole a whole back quarter it looked like huh yeah well they, they ate off both both hind quarters oh really uh, yeah they ate the whole rear end off of it huh. and uh and it was so hot and it was just it was a it, yeah it was a race yeah I, you know I, I deliberately went after elk lower and you know and a cow specifically um because the previous year when i shot my bull way up way in the back it took me three days to get it out <laughs> by myself, right by myself. And this year I decided I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to, if, if, you know, and it's all, every year is a clean slate, right? Mm-hmm. You don't even know if you're going to get an opportunity, but if you, but if I was hoping to get an opportunity a little closer and a, and a little lighter <laughs> yeah. and, and uh, it, it worked out good that way. It was just, a, it was just a struggle with the heat. It was 98 degrees up there on that hill. Oh, geez. Yeah. And so it was everything I could do to get it off the mountain, and but it worked out. Had you know, it's a great season. And then you get you you kind of turn the season into uh, your son got a stud of a bull. Oh, that was so cool. Did you guys you call that? You called him in, right? Yeah, I called him in. So to to kind of give you the story, 2017. This is a completely different unit than I'm hunting. So we are in a different elk zone. And in 2017, I went over. You know, I had that tag. And he had that tag, and so I called in a really nice bull for him. And something happened when he shot, and it hit it, the arrow hit his, the string hit his sleeve or something, and he he got like an inch of penetration, and the arrow fell out. Mm. It's and so he's was ever since then it was like been on this mission, and so this year was the first chance we really got to do it again in in there, and um, it. You know, now, now the, that bull, that first bull was came in screaming and fighting and wanting to, you know, raking and, you know, classic, you know, like I seen on TV, right? Oh, yeah. Well, this this year was a weird year, all right? Um, where I was at, where where I shot my elk, the bulls were bugling and screaming. I have had pictures of bulls breeding cows on the 2nd of September. Mm-hmm. And and then when where we were in that other part in in you know, central Idaho, they weren't making a sound. You know, uh, I did, we just happened to, I happened to know the area. That's where I shot a cow in 2017. Um, and we went in there and the trail looked good. So we just sat there and cold called, I cold called and, oh, I don't know how many hours we waited and we finally got a chuckle out of him. And that was all it took. Um, once we knew he was there, you know, we just, just did the, uh, the, uh, Elk nut, elk nut slow play. Oh, you did the yeah. you did the slow play. Well, basically the slow play. Yeah, I, I basically did the cow. You know, the cow, the bull tending a cow mm-hmm. scenario, and I did it for oh man, like th- three or four different times. We finally stopped, went down the hill, took a nap, came back, <laughs> and and uh, the second time it worked. You know, and. Uh, he came in silent as could be. He didn't. He, he did not make a peep. And you could hear some cows starting to talk up there. And my son was looking in that direction, and he looked out of the corner of his eye. And here's this bull looking down the hill where I'm at. And and uh, amazingly, you know, the bull would draw and shoot. So wow. Uh, yeah, so he just came in quiet. Totally quiet. Every, you know, the, the only thing we heard out of that bull all day was a ch- one chuckle. Wow. And that was it. And so it's, you know, it wasn't, 
you know, it wasn't the screaming fighting thing or anything, but it was equally as effective. Yeah, I mean, whatever works, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, you know, I, I, my playbook is long, and uh, I use it. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've tried the slow play a few times. Um, I, I didn't have as much success. I, I almost got one that way. Uh, but I've had all sorts of mishaps, man, <laughs> in September, <laughs> crazy oh. stuff. But um, I want to kind of – I know we're, we're going a little long here. Uh, these things – I never talk about what I want to talk about, and all of a sudden the hour's up. Um, <laughs> and so I kind of want to wrap this up by you – you have a really good perspective. You've you've had a lot of hunting success. You've you've been out. You've hunted multiple different states. You've notched tags on multiple different species in multiple different units in again multiple different states. So you've got a lot of experience. What kind of what do you tell people that are just getting into hunting, adult onset or kids or or, or somebody that's just kind of getting into hunting? Do you have like your um, action-packed, you know, top three pieces of advice or something like that you could offer those those people? Well, I'll use elk hunting because it's probably the last thing that I started hunting. Okay. And when, you know, when I, you know, when I first started elk hunting, I didn't know anything about elk, right? I didn't know anything about it. And it was in Nevada and, you know, it was a, you know, the whole bugling bull and all that kind of stuff that was not even part of that scenario. And, but once I got the fever and, you know, I got it, um, I went to school, right? I knew I did not know enough, uh, as far as, as far as, you know, the, the physical part is very important. The knowing the language is very important, but going to school, the knowledge, getting knowledge like your school is September. And, you know, my first one was, you know, row hunting resources and, you know, Elk 101, those were, I honestly, I, I just absorbed that, that stuff, you know, and talk to people, talk to people who are successful that want to share. I mean, there are, you know, you get so much negative stuff on social media, but there are people that will help. Yeah. In person is a lot different than like when somebody asks about, Hey, what caliber do I use for elk? You know, that, that famous question that gets so much slobbering, arguing, blah, blah, blah on, on Facebook, right? You ask that same question to somebody in person that has a lot of experience, they will talk your ear off. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's how I learned, you know, and, 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 and even back when I very first started, you know, I, I hunting when I was, you know, 14, 15 years old, trapping i didn't know what i was doing but i read about it the resources that i had at the time and that's how i got me started and just have the passion Uh, you know you know you have to you know get out there don't take no for an answer um don't when you think you need you you know you should go home and you you miss everybody and they miss you it's like well that's probably the day you're you know that could be the day you get one um you know just you know, be you know, and of course you have to <laughs> have to be cognizant of the realities of that too. But um, mm-hmm. you know, just you know, just don't give up. You know, it, it doesn't have to be all over that next ridge necessarily. You know, know your limitations, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. If you go back in there by yourself and and you kill one, can you can you get it out? You know, and not have a bunch of spoiled meat. You know. That's a, that's a thing that I've had to learn. Now I was I've been lucky, 
and but I, I pushed that envelope pretty far a couple of times. Yeah. And uh, but I th- but I said I would say hunting knowledge would be number number one. Like knowledge uh, of the animal, knowledge of hunting, knowledge animal of, behavior. Yeah. yeah, animal behavior. Uh, you know, uh, you know, knowledge of woodsmanship mm-hmm. and stuff like that. You know, can you shoot an elk at dark and stay there on the mountain with it? You know, next to it or you know, on the, that trail until daylight when you can find it. Yeah. That you know, I kind of had to prove that to myself this year because I was like, I didn't want to stay up there. <laughs> you know? I know. It I was, was like, I was worried about that when I'm base camped with the whole family and and they're they're down at the the trailer at camp and I if I'm if I'm way back there I'd stay on and I'm prepared I'm ready to stay on the mountain but like I have no way of letting my wife know that now I didn't fall and break my ankle or uh, I didn't get my butt handed to me by a grizzly bear I'm just camped on the on the meat you know and that's that's a challenge too because I know a lot of people deal with that. Uh, but now that's great advice. That's that's really. And I say also. Go ahead. Oh, I say also enjoy yourself. Man, that's you great. Know. That's a great one. A lot of people take it way too serious, huh? Yeah, you know, have reasonable expectations. It's not always going to work out. You know, mm-hmm. I had I had three elk tags in two different states, and I didn't I didn't punch one tag, but I had a good time. Yeah. Oh. Uh, you know, and so it's not always about that kind of success. And, you know, and, and know what you want. You know, do you want that? Do you want that big bull? Or do you want, or, or are you okay with elk meat in your freezer? And to me, my trophy room is my freezer. Right. Mm-hmm. So are you okay with that? Or do you want something else? Do you want, you know, do you want that hunt, you know, and know, know that going into it and, and, uh, you know, just enjoy yourself, man. That's, that, that's, been the secret for me that's when fan- i'm out there I'm having a good time that's fantastic advice the good time the, the having a good time having fun that i don't think that gets talked about enough we could do a whole podcast on that oh yeah i, I could tell stories of what, when i figure out that i'm i'm calling in another hunter and it's not a bull elk i'll start playing mary had a little lamb on the bugle <laughs> yeah. and it's fun man it is so much fun and sometimes that they, they get pissed and other times i could hear them down there laughing or one guy, I'm pretty sure he was pe- uh, playing back in black, uh, back to me. But I, I'm not totally sure. He he wasn't very good at it. But <laughs> you know, just most, just having fun and lightening it up, you know. The most fun I had this year was on my son's hunt and my wife's hunt, and I wasn't even a hunter. Yeah, yeah. Your wife got a pretty nice buck, didn't she? No, she got a doe. Was it a she doe? Got, yeah, she, yeah. She got her first archery animal of any kind. And that's cool. this year, and you know, and, 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 and that's, I wanted that experience for her. I wanted that experience for my son. And to me, that made my whole season. And that was so much fun, mm. you know, and that, that's what hunting's about to me. And sure. whether I tagged elk or deer or whatever, you know, it, it, that was so much fun. And I think that's the takeoff from that is just enjoy yourself. Even if it's helping somebody else, yeah. you get an opportunity go with somebody else if you if you don't have a tag you know you, you can learn a lot um i love and i'm i'm 90 percent solo all the time but i love going with people that i've never been hunting with just to kind of watch them and even if i'm like a you know cons- what, what i would consider maybe a better hunter or more experienced hunter even in those cases i learn a lot from going with these guys 
and yeah. and I think that people they they put themselves in this like level like they're on this level of hunting i'm 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 you know an advanced hunter or i'm an intermediate hunter and, and this other person i can't oh. learn from them kind of thing and and that is i'd love to go hunting with you i feel like i'd, I'd pick up all sorts oh, of stuff yeah, we have a ball We'd, we would have a ball we would yeah, have and a ball. I'd, give it my, I'd give it my best doug flutie oh and yeah. <laughs> uh, i love doug flutie he comes up all the time on the show uh, yeah man can't wait to hear can't wait to kick that one out this week. <laughs> yeah, that's coming out tomorrow. Yeah, uh, well, there, there's no Doug Flutie does not make an appearance on that one, but uh, we do talk about him. <laughs> it, yeah, so you got you got Joe and Chris and and Dirk, right? Yep, yep. It's uh, it's what? the and and now I can actually say it, even though we're recording, but that. It is the panel series. So all all winter, once a month, I'm going to be having a panel discussion with multiple hunters all on at once to talk about different things. And this one happens to be the elk hunting panel. And so, yeah, we, we had that one come out, and uh, yeah. it's pretty fun. That was awesome. I was actually talking to Joe today. Oh, were you? And he called, yeah. And he said that, you know, he always wanted to have the name Huntsman for his last name. <laughs> but, when, but when he went to change his name, there was some dude in North Idaho who already had it. <laughs> That's right, Joe. This is a, <laughs> you got to lose the Italian name for that one. <laughs> That's right. You really said that. <laughs> uh, Joe's one of my favorite people. He's he's a great uh, guy uh, down there at yes. the, the Elk Bros, the Blue Collar Elk Hunting Academy. Oh, yeah. Yep, great stuff. You, so. see, you, you turned me on. See, you, you guys have... And then I learned a lot from your game, from your podcast, because that's how I picked up Elk Bros, right? I was in the Joe, and it's like, oh, I got to check that one out. You know? Yeah, yeah, and, it's a good program, too. And you're not yeah. learning from me. It's the guests I have on that are just like, you know, they're they're so much fun to listen to, too. Uh, just great personalities, and and uh, I and that's that's part. I just love doing this podcast because I I get to oh, talk to man. people like you and. And all those guys, and, and make new friends with uh, you, and, and and like we were saying, Joe, uh, down at Elk Bros, and and uh, Dirk, and all these guys. It's just a, it's a lot of fun. It's a hoot, and I learn a lot. I'm telling you, it's like the, if if I was only doing this for selfish reasons, the selfish reason for me would be that I learn more about hunting, being a host of a hunting podcast, than I ever have with any other uh, type kind of uh, learning education I found elsewhere. So it's yeah, awesome. That's, that's the ticket right there. You got best of both worlds. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> well, cool, well, Mike. This how much knowledge I've passed on, but no, it's yeah. it's good. We actually should get you back on. There's there's uh, a couple of pointed topics. In fact, I, I was hoping to maybe get you on for one of these elk panels coming up. Um, and and uh, so let's keep in touch on that and see if we can't get oh, you absolutely. back on in the future. I think it'd be fun. Hopefully and we can get your get the audio worked out because I can only do yeah, that on that one that. thing. In the meantime, I shall try to include <laughs> that. <laughs> well, last time, it, last time it was my fault though. My internet was totally dead. Like the I I was that I was blaming it on the snowstorm, which usually that is a pretty bad thing. But no, it was actually my internet was flat out off. It was down. So thanks to my kids. But anyway, that's what happens. We yep. rolled. We made it happen. So I appreciate right. you coming on the well, show. Hey, I am so happy to be here. 
And uh, like I said, we're going to do this again. And uh, what? let's give everybody your uh, Instagram handle. You're archery43, right? Yes, archery.43. Where did, what does the 43 signify? 43rd state. 43rd state. I like it. Okay, cool. See, I learn something every time. Yeah, I was trying to think of something, and I hope I had that right. But I was trying to think of something, you know, semi-original, right? And (laughs) it's like, well, I looked at, well, what state is Idaho? It's 43rd state. Okay, archery.43. I like it. That's perfect. So everybody check check out Mike's Instagram. It's actually a pretty good Instagram. Um, good pictures. You, you do. You're a super busy guy. You're up there spending a lot of time. I, I wish you had time to be trapping right now because I'd love to follow along with that. Uh, but uh, you know, someday. Yeah, I just checked out a property today that, that uh, I would just got permission to trap. So I'll be uh, cool. working that here soon, and can't, looking forward to bear season and awesome. and just next. All right, Mike. Well, thanks again for joining me, Archery43, uh, Archery.43 on Instagram, uh, Michael Bozart. And we're going to get you back on the show. Thanks a bunch, man. Thanks for having me. I had a great time. You made it all the way to the end. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. We sure appreciate your support. This is Jim Huntsman signing off and reminding you to check us out at Instagram at The Western Huntsman and on Facebook at The Western Huntsman. And you can also check out the website at thewesternhuntsman.com. Thanks again. We'll see you guys next time. Stay Western, and I'll see you on the mountain.